so good to see everyone. I It's the first AMA of the year. And I mean, I couldn't think of a better person to kick this off than Kyle. Um, so I am really, really, really pumped to see you all uh, dive into this really uh, kind of meaty topic that we have prepared today. This AMA is a little bit different because we just launched our product-led sales benchmark report with Kyle and the team at OpenView. Um, and he is the expert on all things PLG. So we'll be having kind of a chit chat on all things benchmark report, what we learned, what we found, the survey results, Kyle's predictions, um, and you know everything from LinkedIn all the way to the report. I'm sure you have lots and lots to talk about. So first, I'll do a quick introduction of Kyle, and then I'll throw it over to you to give some context. And then uh, I have a couple questions for Kyle that I've planned, but seriously, feel free to interrupt. Raise your hand, write it in the chat, just start screaming. I will uh, listen. So quick context on Kyle. He is an operating partner at OpenView, the expansion stage VC. So he helps OpenView's portfolio companies fuel growth and become market leaders. So in his past life, he was leading um, a consulting firm that specializes in monetization, which makes a lot of sense. He has an awesome newsletter that I recommend everyone subscribe to called Growth Unhinged Newsletter. Um, and when he's not writing about all things PLG, he's playing tennis, cooking, hiking, attempting to finish a Barry's workout or hanging in Boston. Did I get that right, Kyle? <laughs> you did. And then... Generally very caffeinated in the process. <laughs> How many cups a day? Uh, I'm on three now, but it's cold brew. So I think it's like dog years uh, <laughs> in terms of the caffeine per cup. I love it. I um, agree with you. I am already down my first Starbucks of the day and we'll, we'll need another. Um, okay. So the first question that I want to dive into, Kyle, is something that I found interesting from last year's benchmark report to this one is that folks are saying, you know, self-serve and product-led can be the starting point for a lot of um, revenue generation and for a lot of growth and success in companies, but it's not where the bulk of revenue is actually coming from. And because of this, a lot of companies are really leaning into this hybrid approach of, you know, you have some product-led sales where you're seeing um, strong self-serve usage and then sales gets involved, but you're also seeing a hybrid with cold outbound and more of a traditional sales. And what I thought was really timely and interesting in your last, uh, one of your most recent uh, newsletters, you talked about Quotapath which is a non-traditional PLG company because they have a very complex product, but they are embracing PLG and what sounds like this hybrid motion. So I'm curious kind of just first, like what are your takes? Is this what you're seeing in the market that aligns to what we've seen in the benchmark report? And then I'd also love to see your thoughts on how companies that might not be, might be complex and might have a lot of stakeholders and really long implementation cycles like uh, quota path, how that you can adapt this hybrid PLS sales-led motion. Yeah, well, a lot to unpack with that. <laughs> when, so it, it's fascinating because the companies that have been traditionally sales-led are trying to go more PLG and maybe more and introduce a self-serve offering for the first time. Meanwhile, you've got companies that maybe started off self-serve as 100% of their revenue came in through that channel. They had no sales reps they're all racing to adopt as much product-led sales and more traditional enterprise sales as possible. And we're kind of seeing this like great meeting of the middle where I think self-serve is generally the starting point, right? You want folks to be able to try your product before they buy. You want them to see value. Um, you also want to 
tailor your sales touch points to the highest priority prospects. And it's, you know, a lead that's use the product seen value is uh, is someone that I would much rather work with as a salesperson than someone who's totally new to the space, to the product, what it does and so on. It uh, That product qualified lead, ideally add a product qualified account, which we can talk more about too. It just converts at a much higher rate uh, and much faster. And so that self-serve opportunity is really important in getting folks to try out the product Get up, get to value, and ideally form a habit around the product. But when you think about where a lot of the revenue comes from in PLG companies, it's not from individual users swiping a credit card. It's not from $25, $50 you know, per month purchases. And in fact, a lot of those, a lot of companies have made the mistake of overly optimizing for that individual use and individual conversion where you know, support burdens are fairly high, churn rates are fairly high. It looks more like B2C revenue. I think people realize the real opportunity from an LTV standpoint is selling into teams and enterprises. And that's where generally folks need help from you in order to navigate that purchase process, that commercial transaction. So they see value, they're sold, they're hooked, but how do you work with them to get their boss on board uh, to you know, go through security reviews, go through legal procurement, uh, help them identify additional personas that that might see value from the product but don't know how to use it properly. And that's where I think that magic happens of you're pairing the self-serve motion with the the human touch, the things that humans are great at at doing. And and so I'm excited about this kind of increasingly hybrid world, but the challenge everyone kind of thinks about is where do you draw the line of, you know, what uh, kind of user and customer merits that sales touch point and what doesn't. Uh, and I think in today's economy with the focus on efficient growth and lower CAC, we're seeing companies maybe raise the bar on self-serve. Uh, so, you know, maybe sales reached out to a very high percentage of signups in the past, but we're trying to say, hey, let's actually reserve the sales capacity for the highest priority companies instead of calling everyone. Uh, and, and we're seeing just a lot of experimentation around product-led sales and what are the right sales plays uh, in terms of personalizing the experience to reach out to the right prospect or, or product user with the right message at the right time that really I- improves their customer experience. Thank you. That was that was awesome. And there's there's two things I want to dive into more. Um, one is the how PLG and PL product led sales, mostly the product led sales part, looks different kind of pre twenty twenty three and and going into twenty twenty three because I mean it's top of mind for everyone um, entering kind of a potential recession. What does that look like, and why does that change? You said one thing, you know, raising the bar for who sales reach out to. But I'm curious if you think there's going to be a shift in going up market faster. There's going to be a shift in doubling down on NDR and retention metrics versus an expansion versus net new logos. So I'd be curious, A, if we can answer that. And then the second topic I want to get into after is the PQAs, because I have been loving your content on that recently. Yeah, got some hot takes we can cover on that. I love hot takes, all the hot takes. <laughs> so I think like to me, just some, like if I reflect on some of the last year, maybe even 18 months, as folks uh, sought to accelerate growth and maybe had uh, a lot of capital in order to drive growth, 
they did a lot of things that uh, were incremental investments that had a payoff, but probably weren't at like a hurdle rate in terms of the return on investment. And so things that come to mind, right, are maybe instead of having this like product-led sales motion, they had sales call on every single trial signup or free user signup because there was correlations in their data between having that sales touch point and higher conversion or higher deal size. So they just wanted to like get as many people to have those touch points as possible. I even saw folks, you know, add BDRs and SDRs to do outbound to free users almost immediately upon sign up and really just spread that um, as far as possible in order to try to get uh, get faster growth uh, out of their out of their user base. And I think now there's a lot more focus on incremental uh, return on investment and where that touch point makes the most sense, both for the user and for the business. And so that's where I think that there's just a lot more scrutiny right now. Uh, and so folks are generally getting more account-based in where sales spends time. Uh, and so instead of maybe just looking at product qualified leads, they're looking at things like hey, does this account fit in our ICP? Is this a valuable target customer for us? Let's make sure sales is spending extra time with these deals and less time with someone that maybe is product, a product qualified lead, uh, but just isn't a valuable account for us to be working. And uh, just as like a side note, one of the things that I've always like thought about as a sales rep in a PLG company is if you only work... PQLs, um, you're kind of working the low-hanging fruit of folks that probably would have already converted anyway. And so how do we actually make sure that that team's time is spent on doing something better than what the product can do on its own? I think that that account-based product-qualified account sort of mindset is just much more important now than it maybe was six months or a year ago. I think the the other factor I look at is... uh, we used to be all about conversion and expansion, but folks have seen churn tick up uh, and just customers being more uh, having more scrutiny around budgets, around, hey, do we really need this many user licenses for X product? And so I think that just means companies are spending more time with their install base on retention, on making sure they're actively using all the features that they paid for and seeing value from it. Because it generally is, uh, you know, best practice to really uh, lock in that install base, make sure they're happy, they're satisfied, you're keeping them, uh, you know, that's going to be your kind of most immediate opportunity. And especially if there's not as many new purchases happening, uh, you really want to make sure that you have that down pat. Yeah, we're seeing that from our uh customers of focus right now and even some of the data points that people are really doubling down on, okay, we have this existing install base. How do we make, make sure there's no churn, but also expand, upsell, cross-sell, consolidate across the enterprise versus, you know, we have one or two users that we've never really engaged. Like we don't want to put sales calories there at a time where you really need to be what everyone's saying, growth at all costs. Like where can you kind of milk the most value and honestly money out of accounts um, and that's going to be the ones that are already a pretty big uh, account that you want to expand to be even larger. I, I do want to, before jumping into the questions, um, one quick, just tactical. You said, you know, working PQAs are different than working PQLs. What does that mean? Yeah. One, uh, it is, it's a fascinating topic because I think that there's also a lot of variation in how 
every company defines what these are for the uh, for themselves. But in my mind, like in a canonical way, a product qualified lead is an individual user of the product that demonstrates kind of purchase intent or likelihood to buy and where you want to uh, add a human touch point or just add an extra level of engagement in order to drive that uh, conversion expansion uh, what have you, but it's very user centric tied to an individual person and their product activities. The product qualified account sort of framework or mindset recognizes there's multiple potential users inside of an organization and who maybe is an active product user might not actually be the buyer that's going to write the check for your product. And that you need to be thinking from an account based standpoint, you also might have multiple sub accounts within a broader domain. And so could you do an enterprise consolidation play where you bring those into one consolidated account? Uh, you also might end up having product qualified leads who are just at companies that don't fit your ICP. And therefore, even though they're showing product signal that they're ready to buy, they're not showing the broader kind of account-based signals that say they're worth your sales team's time to engage. And so that's where, in my mind, we should think, and this, especially at this stage, PQA first, and then how do we navigate the account? And PQLs are a great signal for helping us navigate that account. So within a PQA, we might want to call on the PQLs first. If there's it's more than one, great, but like start with the first one. And, and then we might need to, that PQL might have buying authority, but they might not. So we might need to document how they're using the product and then go and navigate that account, essentially go outbound within a product qualified account and navigate to that decision maker to try to make a case for, for uh, broader adoption. And so I think of it as working the account as opposed to the lead, because that lead is off, that lead who's your product user, like in most cases is not that, that executive buyer. It's, it's funny how the narrative has switched. I feel like ABM was a, a bad word for PLG like two years ago. And now <laughs> it's essentially saying, uh, I mean, we've seen this also with companies. Our customers have created the enterprise consolidation playbook, which happens a lot where you're a company, you have a lot of PQLs all dispersed across a company and you want to roll that up into a bigger account license, which I think is honestly the biggest low-hanging fruit for a lot of PLG companies. When a product-led growth company gets started with adding sales on top, the first thing I usually recommend is, okay, go look at all of your target account list, see who's already on the product, go talk to them, figure out who the decision maker is, how are they using the product, and then use all of those data points from both product usage as well as what you're learning from conversations to roll it up into a, um, you know, a sale to the PQA. And so... Uh, it's interesting. I do feel like it's been, it's evolved. And I mean, that's the beauty of PLG and PLS. It's always evolving. Yeah. And it's, I, I think that it's, um, it's fascinating because it like, when I say it out loud, it feels like a no brainer, like why am I even saying this? But I think we got so obsessed with some of the product signals and saw such a strong correlation between product signals and conversion likelihood and like, successful outcomes that I think we over-indexed and said, all right, you know, it used to be all about the MQL or, you know, SQL signals. And now it's all about the product qualified signals. And the, the real answer was it was somewhere in the middle. Yeah. 
Um, last question, and then I'll go into the chat. Um, in terms of defining a PQA, from, from our point of view, there's a lot of different ways to define a PQA. It could be a, from a customer perspective, it could be a lot of things. It could be industry, geography, um, you know, company size, really anything. And then how you define that's more from a graphic. And then when you pull in the product usage data, I think there's a lot you can do. It's did someone really senior do something in the product? That could become a PQA. Is there a large percent of users that have engaged? That could become a PQA. Did they use a certain feature that indicates they can upsell? That could become a PQA. I think in your blog post, you talk about how um, typically to be, and this could be wrong, but tell me if I'm wrong, uh, that a PQA is often it's when you have a group of PQLs and then you can make that like once they hit a certain threshold, then it can become a PQA. I'm curious if that's the definition or one definition um, for it. Yeah, I guess in my mind, it is fairly complicated. There's not just one definition. What I like to do is think of it as like a score or a continuum, right? And you might choose where you draw the line of like what score merits salesperson's time and what score doesn't. And you can do a lot of work over time to refine that scoring model. Uh, but like, there's going to be something where, hey, if this is, hey, like uh, I don't know, I'm throwing out examples. We had 20 people from Salesforce sign up, including a VP, and they've set up these integrations and they've done X, Y, and Z. Like, then it's a very high PQA score. But there might be other factors at play where you say, hey, we actually have one user who is a, a, you know, a director and above at Salesforce, we probably actually want to put a salesperson on that account because there's so much opportunity there and it's the right person at the right account. Uh, and we don't want them to slip through the cracks of just a, you know, just a product interaction, but that's going to be a lower score, right? Lower likely to, to convert, lower initial deal size uh, and a different engagement model. So I, I think about it in terms of a scoring kind of continuum. And the other thing is I think about like the score is one thing, but the playbook for how you tackle it is also different based on where they're coming from. And so if it is, hey, we've got a lot of users within an account, there is maybe that it's that enterprise consolidation play. But you might also think about other potential plays, right? Where we have we already have the sales use case, but maybe there's a recruiting use case, or maybe there's a CS use case. And how do we navigate to, uh, with where we are to additional use cases? Or we have folks that are, uh, maybe we have three people on a team, but the team size is 50. So how can we get to the decision maker and help them understand the value prop of rolling this out to the, the broader team? Uh, and so there's, there's potential personalization around making sure that you're going after the right accounts, but with the right message of what um, what's the, the the next best action that you think that they should take. And that's where you know some of it, some of this can be automated and there's a lot of smart technologies out there or and people doing really innovative things. But that's where there's a lot of judgment from uh, the sales team that comes into play and and helping them uh, pattern match about what they've seen in the past and really use their judgment around the best way to work an account. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm going to start going through some of the questions and I'll just have you kind of unmute, ask your question. Uh, Sandy, do you want to kick it off? Or actually, I'm going to say it because she's in the room and I don't feel like having problems. So um, she said, how do you get SDRs thinking about PQAs and PQLs when their metrics are gold on the user level, such as a meeting booked? Uh 
Yeah, that's interesting. Well, so I guess I it, it I started with that question because I I uh, debate whether like if you if you go so team members are going to be very rational based on acting in the best interest of what their goals are. And so if the goal isn't serving your business objective, I would rather focus on changing the goals uh, rather than trying to force fit folks to kind of do things that are natural versus what you're calling them on. And so, I mean, that's just my initial inclination. Uh, and that's where it is, you know, maybe going to change over time, but like, I'd rather just, I, I could talk to you about spiffs and things that you could do in the short term to try to drive different behaviors, but ultimately you need to have alignment around what, like, what success looks like. Yeah. I, I do think a lot of just broader product-led sales success comes down to incentives. Um, and oftentimes companies just misalign what is the goal and how are you incentivizing your team? Um, Connor, do you want to ask your question? Where is Connor? All right. I, lots of people. I'm yeah, going, I can, sorry, I just need to come off mute there. Yeah. yeah. So question in regards to the reverse trial, um, you know, giving someone full access and then pulling it away. Um, thoughts on kind of when it's right versus not right to implement such strategy. And if you've ever seen it, you know, done well or poorly in the past, like what are some of the, red flags or things to be on the lookout for, for when your reverse trial isn't working or you know, you kind of need to you know change strategy and pivot. Yeah. Uh, great question. And yeah, for folks that are maybe less uh, familiar with reverse trials, it's, it's another one of the buzzwords of the last 12 months. Elena Verna, I think it gets a lot of credit for really putting it on the map and kind of highlighting, uh, highlighting it. So just for, for context, we usually think with with PLG models, so there you want to have that self service path for folks to see value before you capture value, but then still have a compelling event that drives conversion and a, and a reason to ultimately buy. And we've tended to think about that as well. We've got two routes: either the free product or freemium offering, and then we've got a free trial, which is a time based free offering. And generally, with the freemium, you're gating based on features or access. There's only so much that someone could do, but they can do it as long as they want. And the free trial, there's a lot more access. You really open up the product, but you have this hard cutoff on a uh, on a timed basis of when someone needs to make a decision. And so, like when we look at the data, normally free trials convert a lot better. Uh, it's really binary. You're either buying or you're not buy buying. Also, the conversion is generally faster than with freemium models because people tend to convert within the window of that trial or shortly thereafter. Um, I also think that what's great about the free trials is that you put your best foot forward by giving people that premium grade version of your product so that they can really see things about it that they didn't really realize that they needed. But once they've used, they don't want taken away from them. Uh, so with premium products, some of the benefits are it's a lower barrier to signing up. So you get more people that are on your website or learn about you to actually try out the product. Uh, it also makes it then easier for them to invite other people and use the product on an ongoing basis and allows you to really uh, build up a big pool of folks who you can then convert later on. And so uh, some people have kind of referred to it as a pool strategy versus a river type of strategy. 
The great thing with the reverse trial is in theory, you could get the best of both worlds. Uh, but some challenges of where it might fall flat is uh, it could feel like a bait and switch, right? Someone could feel like they're signing up for free. They get used to all of these premium features that now go away. Maybe they've even set up certain things that again uh, collected certain data with your product. And it's really painful for them to lose it. And they feel like they didn't have enough visibility into what was going away or like they wouldn't have used it in the first place if they realized it was a gated feature. So that um, transparency with the user, that UX and UI around uh, how, how the product communicates kind of that those different capabilities, I think it's just uh, really important to get right. Uh, and I think that for some folks that, with a reverse trial, they don't have enough time to fully utilize products and uh, the, the premium features and see value in them. And so the other thing I think about with re where reverse trials can go wrong is that 14 days, which is the most common time uh, allotment, just might not be enough time for folks. And so do you have a way to seamlessly extend that trial or, is, or have you evaluated the timing of it? Uh, in general, my, uh, I think the, I guess a final comment is, is with reverse free trials, you're actually managing a bigger surface area of product and conversion. Uh, and so you've got that free trial, you, you've got freemium versions, you've got like customers in, in different sort of iterations of all of them. You might have you know, usage triggers or feature gates between the two. There's just a lot of surface area to optimize and make sure that you've nailed from a customer experience standpoint. Uh, and so I think it's more work certainly to launch uh, reverse trials and, and then launch them in a, in a um, really positive way for your users. So those are, I guess, there are some pros and cons. In general, in my mind, like reverse trials are a really interesting experiment that many companies should consider prioritizing because it really has that, you know, win-win opportunity. And so it's something that uh, has not historically been a best practice. And I think people haven't really built their product with that in mind, but could be something to take advantage of. I love it. Um, thank you. Uh, Nicholas, do you want to ask your question? Yeah. So I guess going back to an earlier point around how do you operationalize those scores um so how do you roll the uh pql person based score on um an account level like what are the best practices to make sure that the pqa score is uh, as relevant as, as as possible to trigger that threshold mm -hmm. That might be better for Alexa or someone else in the weeds of rolling this out. I guess, maybe Alexa, is there someone in the community who you'd nominate? I, I suspect there are folks here that are going to be even smarter about answering this than me. Yeah, I'll leave it first. Does anyone want to take a stab? No one's going to take a stab. I could nominate people. People with their camera on should be nervous. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I think I've seen this from our perspective and I'd love to hear from others, maybe like Rob, Melissa, um, folks that I know that are thinking about this. Um, 
rolling up PQLs to trigger a PQA, it's the same conversation that we had before where it depends. Like I've seen this across so many customers and companies doing this differently. And it's kind of the question that I asked Kyle as well. Like I think that you could be using average or max or custom logic. And I think that a PQA can mean that you have a certain percentage of PQLs or I think it could have nothing to do about PQLs. And it really depends on what your product is, the market you're going after, what you've seen work historically for conversion. So, I mean, from an operation standpoint, I think less about like, how do you actually calculate this thing? More so, how do you have an easy system and way to constantly experiment and A-B test if this is the right way to measure it? So I know that was kind of a, a cop-out answer, <laughs> but, um, and Nicholas, I'm happy to afterwards introduce you to others who I think have built this well. Awesome, thanks. Anyone else have thoughts on that in the community? I'm scrolling through to see who's who's on here that I can call out. Um, awesome. Uh, I'm going to go to the next question from Randy, who is currently in Asana. So I will read his question. Um, I am thrilled to hear that you are taking this from Asana. That is great multitasking. Um, so the, the question is that product marketing or UX usually creates the ICP and is never perfect and usually not a science. That's a problem, but then quantifying ICP in the PLG PLS data and taking action on a PQA is a whole other animal. Um, any feedback for doing this in an easier way? Mm. It, yeah, I mean, it's I, ideally you're not creating multiple <laughs> definitions of an of an ICP, uh, and that you're really trying to uh, coordinate across entire teams. Like I think that. For folks on the marketing or product marketing, uh, they can sometimes take a really qualitative uh, interest in identifying an ICP that ends up not really uh, landing with how the sales team engages in, and works account. So where possible, like putting in that extra effort to make sure there's alignment and you're not duplicating definitions, I think it's um, important. But I guess for me, what just comes to mind is uh, like a lot of people overcomplicate this in terms of the scoring and it doesn't need to be like a data science exercise. A lot of times even small things can go a long way, right? Like did they sign up with a business email? Um, and then if you can run their domain through Clearbit, is this an account that has more than X hundred employees? Uh, are they in one industry that you at least have reference customers in? Are they in a geo like the US where uh, you you uh, kind of maybe predominantly focus and you kind of built, you go to market around and is the person who signed up, uh, you know, above a certain seniority level in, in that account. Like those are probably indicators for a lot of companies on this call that someone is at least close to their ICP, even if it might not be exactly the way marketing has defined the ICP. And so uh, I guess I, I think of it as like start simple and start maybe more inclusive and if you have too many leads that sales is working, which like, I don't think any sales rep has ever said, but like, if you end up finding you're sending too much volume and folks are not doing enough work with the existing volume that they're getting and not meeting their SLAs, then tighten it, tighten it up and get more, much more concrete uh, to uh, maybe that marketing team's definition. Yeah. And I have some stuff to add to this. So Randy, I love the point that 
defining what the ICP is or the PQA and then taking action on it is a totally different animal. I agree. And that's why we have the concept of playbooks and focus. And that's how we think about it. It's there's a signal and there's an action. Something gets surfaced and then you have to take action on it. And I think a really common misconception, and maybe this is a hot take, I don't know, Kyle, but my perspective is you can't just have like one PQA and one PQL for a whole company. Like there's going to be different, I don't care if you call it a PQA, PQL, signals, triggers, whatever it is, there's going to be different things to surface and then take action on, right? So if you're, you might have an SMP PQL and the action should be put them into a marketing cadence, or you might have target accountless enterprise PQA, and the action might be really personalized email. And then there's different signals and actions in the middle. And that's what we call a playbook. And so I agree that you can't think of a PQL, PQA buzzword of your choosing without thinking about the action that you're going to take on it. Um, Another thing that might also be a hot take. So Bookmark both of these hot takes, Kyle, and tell me if they are hot take or not. (laughs) My my other hot take um, is that I often think that, so to me, scoring of PQLs and PQAs is art and science. There's a little bit of science where you're going to look at your data to say, based on historical convergence and historical success, what has gone well. But there's an art to it. And the, the, that data piece might come from data science, or maybe it's your uh, marketing demand gen team, whatever that is. But the art side is going to come from talking to your sales team. What works? What converts today? What outreach works? What positioning? And to me, defining PQLs, PQAs, and the playbooks around it, so the actions around it, is both. You need to have good art and science. You need to have some data as a starting point, but it's constantly iterating on those definitions based on what you're learning through that feedback cycle. Uh, So, Kyle, I'd be curious your points on both of those. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, generally agree. I guess to me, there is a maturity curve, right? And you need to make sure that you're taking the right approach for how sophisticated your PLG motion is, how large of a company you have, how many sales reps you have. If it's founder-led sales, this is kind of all in the founder's head, right? They're kind of manually looking at accounts and making a judgment call based on, you know, an ability to really look at all accounts. Where I think that... so. I, I go back to Alexa's point around what are you doing based on the information? Because the having the data that someone is PQ, PQA or PQL or has a certain score, like that's wonderful, but it doesn't mean a whole lot unless you're acting differently based on it. Things that I, I think about are how have you actually translated this notion of a PQA or PQL back to your marketing and demand gen teams so that they're gold on trying to get more folks that actually meet these criteria, right? Because the goal shouldn't be for them to generate just more product signups or more users, but actually more high quality users that have a likelihood to convert. And you should know pretty quickly uh, for new signups if they're going to get to this point of, of PQA. So there can be a tight feedback loop with the demand gen and marketing marketing teams. You'll also really want to have different playbooks of, hey, based on X behavior that we're learning, it is a nurture stream uh, via marketing. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe there's a essentially SDR that networks the account to reach a decision maker and get interest for the sales team. Maybe it's more of a CS motion where it's a very high quality account uh, and we have a decision maker 
but we have a we have a belief that they're going to have a hard time setting up high value features because of the complexity of where they're coming from. And so we're going to go in with more of a motion of, hey, let's let's build out your your uh, you know we'll, let's build out your uh, offering here. We're going to help you set up these integrations. We're going to help you build out you know you know your reporting and your dashboards or whatever it is for that specific customer. But you want to take the signals that you have to act in the right way that's going to move the ball forward with these accounts. And one, one signal we haven't even talked about is like hand raisers. There's going to be PQAs that are just someone raises their hand to request a demo or wants help from your sales team because they're actively like in a buying cycle and they want that sales interaction. That's, again, a different way that you're going to behave but it's still technically a PQA, right? Uh, it's just that you want to have that next best action uh, based on the context you have about them. I love it. And what I think we, we have time for one or two more questions. And I think one that's a good kind of follow up to this is, is Rob's question, because I think it also goes to the point where there are going to be different playbooks to be run at different stages of the journey, aka different signals and actions to be had. And so Rob, I'm curious if you want to unmute, do you ask your question to Kyle? Yeah, you kind of touched on a little, uh, a little bit earlier, Alexa, but Kyle, the question was just, you know, the things that are going to be correlated with conversion in a 14 or 30 day window are likely going to be different than the things that are going to be correlated with long-term expansion or retention. So just thinking about how do you, without having too much sprawl of scores and signals, how do you kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, that is a great, uh, great question. And it, to me, it is going to be very different uh, for different products um, and, and companies. Like I have, we have got portfolio companies where they have a really massive self-serve user base, but the real opportunity is monetizing some of the high value accounts. And, and especially when you think about monetizing, like having a much higher price per user, much deeper functionality, having stickiness through enterprise contracts versus a bunch of like credit card self-serve purchases. They're, they're looking at signals that are not generally what's happening in like, you know, 14 to 30 days uh, pre-conversion because a lot of the the users in this account might have already converted. But then there's going to be very different situations where uh, sales is coming into play and much more in that conversion uh, basis and trying to land accounts and land at certain deal sizes. So I think that, I guess the first thing is really mapping out the priority for the sales team and potentially having different sales teams that are focused on different objectives and then making sure that you have the right kind of scoring approach and playbooks in place uh, based on, you know, really arming those folks with what, what they need to be successful. I think we have time for one more question. I'm looking, um, let's see. What about David at data.ai? Hey, thanks. Yeah, I think we, we kind of covered it in the chat, but you know, we're definitely looking at you know the right balance of like explicit data collection. So people register, you know, what's asked ask about uh, their their role and um, their uh, their jobs to be done. Uh, and then also kind of try to infer that also from their usage. 
So kind of like a combination of, of both implicit and explicit. Just kind of want to see if that was something that people had luck with or, uh, you know, which strategies work there. Yeah, in terms of uh, data points for that for that ICP, I think that, yeah, as much as possible automation, so you're not asking the user for all of this data themselves, uh, like that is ideal. And if you get the business domain, then you can run enrichment. Even if you get a personal domain, sometimes there's opportunities based on other factors of like where they came in in terms of acquisition paths that you can infer the, the uh, organization they're with too. But I, I think that like... In some ways, there are companies uh, that have over-relied on automation and enrichment. And I think that there are some really great questions that you can ask in the onboarding flow. And that's when people are uh, like at the highest intent and willing to answer a few things. But the, the goal for me is always think about it in terms of like information that's critical for you that you can't get elsewhere and information that ideally helps you personalize the experience. And like Shopify is a great example. If folks haven't gone through their onboarding, I highly recommend it. They have a bunch of different paths based on factors like do you already have an e-commerce platform, right? And if you don't have one and you're a new entrepreneur or new uh, building this out from scratch, a self-serve path is probably going to make sense for you. And it's not going to be that hard because you're not going to have that big of a product catalog. But if you're migrating off of Magento or, uh, you know, BigCommerce or whatever other platform, that's probably a much bigger lift. And so there's different paths that they can guide you down and probably a different kind of set of sales and CS touch points that they can take you down. And it's going to be hard to get that information through automation and kind of lead enrichment alone. And so as long as you kind of focus it on what's that benefit for the user and how you're going to personalize their experience, I think having a few of those in-product questions is really great. Probably think of it as like no more than four or five, fewer is better, and make sure folks know what's in it for them. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, we've heard a lot of like, uh, you know, either vertical or jobs to be done kind of focused things. Like what are, what are the tasks that you want to do on a daily basis? And if you get that feedback, kind of guiding people towards either that kind of report or that kind of data, mm -hmm. Uh, because in different roles, different companies, you know, their path and the product could be very, very different. Totally. Thanks. Awesome. Kyle, this was incredible as I expected. <laughs> uh, we're at, we're at time, but I feel like we could have gone forever. And I really, really appreciate your insights from, uh, the benchmark report from just everything you've been chatting about online and uh, your predictions for the future. Really appreciate your time. If folks want to follow along and uh, ask more questions, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, drop me a note on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there as folks might know, uh, or my email is just kyle at ov.vc. And then otherwise, I've got yeah a newsletter goes out weekly uh, called Growth Unhinged. And I am very curious if we found out, is it a sauna or a sauna? What was the answer? I think they were in a sauna, currently in a sauna, a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> am I reading I that? that? Randy, are you still here? Can you confirm <laughs> yay or nay if you're in a sauna or if you're in a sauna? 
he can't confirm or deny because he's in a sauna. So everyone can use their own imagination. Um, that being said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I also, Sandy linked my um, LinkedIn. Here's my email as well. Um, you can also reach us in the community, pocus.com slash community. If you want to join more of these in the future, uh, Kyle, you're the best. I can't wait for more hot takes in the future. So thank you all so much. And I'm really excited to see you at the next AMA. 